Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What's happening, football fans? Welcome to another edition of the Gagan Pod, where I'm joined by Thomas Sorensen, Optus Sports Chief Sports Editor, Jake Rosengarden, and former Matilda Heather Garriak to wrap up the final round of the WSL Biggest Matilda Storylines. We also talk Premier League, relegation battles heating up, Champions Parades, Real Madrid, and what did Tommy Sorensen get up to when they won the league with Sunderland? Football agents, how important are they in today's game? And we look forward to all the cracking games coming up this week. All that and much more on the Gagan Pod. Yes, guys, the gang is back. I've got the safest hands in the building, Thomas Sorensen, joining us. And while there's no Mark Schwartzer, no Michael Bridges, we switch up for a little bit more footballing intellect here. We've got our chief sports editor, Jake Rosengarden, here at Optus Sport joining us. Jakey, can't wait to have your opinions. We know we're going to get super analytical today on the show, and we're going to kick it off with Man United, who took on Brentford this morning. It was their last game at Old Trafford. And I don't know how much we read into this one, really how much could have been saved of the season. But Ronaldo scores, Varane scores his first goal of the season. Jakey, how important was that for the morale of this United team? Oh, massively. And I think for the crowd at Old Trafford as well, they send off what's been a... I think tumultuous is almost an understatement season for Manchester United. I mean, you saw there was almost a it was almost a farewell party for a couple of departing players, your likes of your Juan Mudders, um, your Nemanja Matiches, um, and they get sent off in style, which is nice for them. And I mean, there was a big a big smile on Ronaldo's face, which I think any football fan can appreciate is a great thing after what he's been through the last few weeks. Definitely, and Tommy, we know that those players are quite openly leaving the club. Are there a couple others that you think low key won't be there at the start of next season? For sure, uh, the you know Ten Hag will, will definitely want to, to to change things. You know, in midfield, uh, you know, obviously Matic leaving. Um, what's going to happen to you know? There's talks about Frankie De Jong potentially being um, available and, and of interest. You know, is that Fred leaving McTominay, or or is he just going to be another body in in that midfield? Um, you know, some of the young players, the acquisitions from last year, can't see it. Ronaldo is the big question mark as well. I, I still think they they want to they want to keep him unless he he forces himself out. I think why wouldn't you keep? And I, you know, I was reading some of the comments Roy Keane has been making during the week. You know, uh, uh, he just scores goals, uh, and you can't uh, that quality that he even showed today. You you, you can't let that just slip away. Uh, you know, uh, unless you judge that his legs are gone, and and it doesn't look like it. So, so I think I see that midfield, and and obviously at the back. Um, but I can't really see Maguire or, or Varane leaving. Uh, Lindelof, Mosque, maybe. Um, so they they'll just add bodies to that, I'm sure. I think it's a really interesting one, Tommy, when you talk to the Ronaldo situation. I, I may or may not have triggered a large portion of Manchester United's fan base on Twitter this week. Um, there was a, a tweet that went out from one of ESPN's senior writers where he basically, it was along the lines of, can you imagine, people still say, I can't believe, what are they doing having Ronaldo there? Can you imagine if they relied on Martial, Rashford, Cavani for goals this season? And I was like, well, 
they actually did that last season and they finished second and made a European final. So I think to me, it, it's a very not black and white thing. I think obviously Cristiano Ronaldo is someone who is a massive, massive personality and he's a massive part of any team that he's in, even at age 37. But I think that this this sort of conversation has been painted in a really odd way where it's like, oh, can you believe these idiots saying what would happen if they didn't have Ronaldo? Obviously oh, yeah. this season, Ronaldo has been, he's got a... What is he? I mean, before going into this game, he's got eight of their last nine goals. He's, he's been massive. But at the end of the day, I think it's a massive misnomer to suggest that if Ronaldo... I mean, things are different from season to season. If Ronaldo hadn't arrived, maybe those players would have continued in the same vein they were going last season. I mean, things changed enormously. Um, and I think it's a really... The conversation has almost been reduced to a really black and white thing. And it's a really... I mean, Tommy, you would know more than anyone in a dressing room when someone like that comes in. It changes everything, right? Yeah, for sure. And and that's the thing that Ten Hag's obviously uh, going to suss out. You know, he he, he said he was going to have meetings with, with the players uh, over Zoom, uh, I think, uh, last week. So, you know, he, he'll try to get a, a gauge on, you know, what, what is the dynamics. And, and again, Ronaldo, as you said, plays a huge part, he, you know, and, and he takes up a lot of space. So, yeah, so that's the question. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. It's not black and white. You know, it's not in and out. There's a lot of intricacies to it. Um, what he adds, what he detracts from the team and, and where Manchester United want to go. I think that's the big question. You know, where does Ten Hag, uh, what direction does he want to take? Does he want to, you know, build a new team? And then certainly Ronaldo is, is, is not part of that plan, I, I, I would presume. Well, there was an awkward moment in uh, Ralph Ranić's press conference when they asked him about Ten Hag and he said, uh, he's got my number, but he hasn't called me yet. And I think maybe because he's busy with the Ajax job. It was a bit of a funny one. But Jakey, you look at this squad, Cristiano Ronaldo, we, we talk about whether Ten Hag will want to keep him or Ten Hag will make this decision. But what if you're Cristiano Ronaldo and you're the king of the Champions League and you might well be doing it in the Conference League against God knows who in the group stage? Uh, if you're, Are you staying or are you looking at it going, I don't have many years left. I can go to a PSG or something like that and be in the Champions League. But this is the thing. I don't know how many options Cristiano Ronaldo would have outside of Manchester United to, to go to a club of that stature and play at that level in the Champions League. PSG is an interesting one, obviously, and it would sort of probably hinge on, on what Mbappe decides to do. But yeah. ultimately... I think for me, and this is this is my personal opinion, I think the last few years of European football and the, the sides that are competing at the very top level, your Man City's, um, your Liverpool's, um, your Real Madrid's, I mean, these teams are... I don't know if Ronaldo really fits into that that blueprint anymore in terms mm. of just... I mean, there's so much talking about his, his tracking back, his defensive work. I mean, ultimately, for me, I feel like the role of the number nine has changed so enormously. I don't know if you can build a, a team that's going to play at that level ar- around him at 37. Do you, Tommy? I think you're onto something there. Um, de- definitely, the game has moved on, and uh, you know that that was even the question marks earlier when Ranić obviously came in, and you know the pressing and that it, that it didn't fit with Ronaldo. Uh, so uh, potentially, uh, you know, he has to look elsewhere. Like I think a PSG would be if Mbappe leaves. I think would probably be the only top European side that he would you know, make sense at because I don't think anyone else would, you know, spend that money that he's going to command, you know, to get him in uh, for what they're actually getting back. Um, So, yeah, it's going to be a massive uh, thing this summer. I'm sure there'll be a lot of talk and will be interesting to follow. 
Maybe it's all part of the plan. He's won everything, but he hasn't won a Europa League and he hasn't won a Conference League. So maybe he's oh. looking at it and he tactically- <laughs> The last spot in the cabinet. He's looking there. The cobwebs got to get rid of him. Fair play. He wants to complete the UEFA set. So credit, he's gone to Man United where he knows seventh and eighth is probably quite realistic. Um, let's, let's have a look at the rest of the Premier League now. Massive talking point from the weekend was the relegation fight. Burnley got that win against Watford late on. They were trailing, scored two goals and put the pressure on Everton who were hosting Chelsea. And on paper, you would have said that this was a one-side affair but Everton went out and won the game this didn't surprise me too much when you considered how much it meant for Everton and how lackluster Chelsea have been but the biggest talking point Romelu Lukaku was just left on the bench for the entire 90 minutes in a game where you need a goal Jake what does that mean for his future oh, I think the conversation now has to turn to I mean is it time for Chelsea and Thomas Tuchel to just cut their losses I mean it's been a it's been really remarkable. I mean, you spend that sort of money on a player, close to £100 million. I mean, everyone was saying, oh, he's, he's the final piece of the puzzle. This is it. Chelsea have just won the Champions League. They're going to go on and challenge City and Liverpool. And they looked like doing so for a while. I mean, not that Lukaku was necessarily the key man in that. Um, but it just, it, it's felt odd, Tommy, I feel. Like, in terms of, I remember early on in the season, do you remember Antonio Conte came out Um early doors and was like, I don't think Chelsea know how to use Romelu Lukaku. And he's almost been proved right. They they haven't found a way. Thomas Tuchel's system and the way that they've been playing almost demands a more sort of mobile linked up striker. Um, and Kai Havertz and Timo Werner, who themselves had a very, very slow start to their, their Chelsea careers and haven't necessarily been exactly goal merchants, um, are being prepared ahead of him week in, week out. And I think... It, what else can you do? I mean, it's not like there's going to be a sudden shift and everything's going to change and Lukaku is just going to all of a sudden be this panacea for Chelsea. Um, what do you do with him, Tommy? You know, again, I think with, with the comments, you could always see the, the writing on a wall when, when the comments came out early in the season that he, he wasn't happy. Um, you know, that sort of always raises, uh, you know, the red flag for me. And uh, I don't th- I just don't think he, he knew what he was walking into. I think he... He was just thinking the red carpet was going to, you know, be rolled out for him. Uh, he was going to come back to Chelsea and and really just cement himself as a as a legend there. With with obviously, you know, all the accolades they came from with Belgium and, and down in Italy. Uh, and and I don't think he was ready for Tuchel as a manager. The the way he sort of goes about treating the players and and uh, the system, the work rate. So I think it was just. Um, probably a big, big bit of a shock to him and 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 he probably hasn't recovered from that i think uh, yeah he just hasn't been that type that just rolled up his sleeves and you know where you see that's the credit you can give ronaldo like you he, he's always you know he never sort of moans and groans he just gets on with it and tries to prove prove people wrong because he could have thrown in the towel plenty of times this season and and Lukaku just seemed to have just spat out the dummy a little bit and and so yeah I agree it, it's it's I can't see him staying more than more than this season he, he'll be on to you know potentially Spain or, or maybe back to Italy but that's it and the question is I mean obviously there's so much uncertainty at Chelsea at the moment I mean can Chelsea afford to offload Romelu Lukaku do they have the funds to to spend to, to replace him I mean do they is Amanda Broja going to come in and replace him? Who? Wh- what do you do if you're Chelsea? Who do you bring in? I mean, if Lukaku goes, he probably goes for what? Probably half of what they paid, if that. Um, it's a really interesting one. 
It's very yeah. simple, isn't it? You you know what you do? You spend twice as much as you sold him for and you buy back Tammy Abraham in a true Chelsea fashion. That's what you do. <laughs> they have a buyback clause there, do you know, Claude? <laughs> yeah, they do. They yeah, do. but it's an interesting period now for Chelsea because they have had stability for the last, you know, 10 years. You know, they, they've always, you know, they've always known the situation, had plenty of money, could always... And suddenly now, you know, they're in, in what a lot of other clubs have experienced, you know, uncertainty. So, so it'd be interesting to see how the whole club reacts and if they can stabilize it and, and what solution they actually come up with. Tommy, have you been in this situation or have you heard of anyone that's been in this situation? Because when you look at a football club, you, you look at the management, the assistant coaches and the players, but there's so much more to this club and there's this, you know, this backroom staff that maybe you have no control over. But when a club is in this type of turmoil, they're talking Reese James to Real Madrid. They're talking Mason Mount to leave. These are guys that have been at the club for 20 years. Have you ever experienced anything like this? And, and could we see a whole new Chelsea in the next five years? Yeah, no, it's definitely going to be a, a big change, I think, at Chelsea. And I experienced uh, something similar when I was at Aston Villa you know maybe in a little bit of the opposite direction but we you know we we had deadly dog was you know the chairman there and, and had been for for many years and and he sort of decided you know he, he wanted to get rid of the club he was getting old and uh, and and started to sort of cut down on everything i think remember one preseason or the last preseason he was there you know he would only allow one masseur uh, at the training ground for preseason, and and he wouldn't water the pitches he wouldn't want to spend on, on the water bill you know so i <laughs> So I think we, we were all sort of, uh, you know, we got to get rid of this guy, uh, even though he had a great history there. And Randy Lerner, American guy, bought the club and, and things changed for the better. You know, a lot of money was spent and everything else. So, it, but it does place a lot of uncertainty on everyone. Uh, so it's not, you know, and I think that's probably what we see affecting, you know, the play on the pitch. You know, a lot of players don't know if they're going or staying and, and, and where their future lie because, you know, where does Chelsea, you know, rank uh, come a year or two down the line if, if they don't get it right. Going, going back to that situation you were in, Tommy, and I mean, obviously it, it really does seem to be affecting Chelsea uh, on the pitch. I mean, mm. for, for you guys, and I mean, back in, in that time at Villa, I mean, what, what sort of is said between the players? I mean, do you recall having any conversations with anyone particularly in the dressing room that was like, wow, what's, what's going on here? What are we doing about this? Yeah, I don't know if you remember, there was the uh, famous fake statement that came out. Uh, I think it was orchestrated, uh, uh, you know, potentially by David O'Leary uh, and probably cost him the sacking. <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, no, obviously we, we, we had, uh, as a players, we, we obviously, we, we weren't happy and we, we did get together about just the conditions, yeah, as I said, with the watering of the pitches. Because it, again, it... You know, it, it, you know, it was our health that was sort of uh, played with. Um, and then we were in the canteen and suddenly on Sky Sports, this statement comes up from the playing group at Aston Villa saying that they weren't happy with Randy, <laughs> oh, sorry, with, with uh, Doc Ellis and, and everything else. And, and uh, you know, in my, my view, I think it was something that was orchestrated by, by the manager, but uh, we never came to the bottom of it. And uh, David O'Leary, I think, left pretty soon after. So you can sort of make your up your own mind what happened. Um, but yeah, so so all these things, you know, it 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 definitely affects everyone. And, and there's a big political game going on behind the scenes. You know, you know, staff wants to keep their positions. Uh, so so it, it's yeah, it's just unrest, and and nobody needs that. And you had the American come in and buy you, and you've told me stories that he took you over to show you the real football, show you the NFL over there. That's how you got Soccer. into that. <laughs> and then we've got we've got another American in charge, not quite to the same capacity, but as a manager over there at Leeds United. And I think they've just flown under the radar here, Jake, because we've been talking relegation battle. We've been saying, oh, Burnley, Everton, who you got? Who's going down? What if none of them go down? What if Leeds United go down? Is that realistic? Absolutely. I think this relegation battle has been 
wild, to be honest with you. I think everyone sort of thought that all of these teams were going to struggle their way to the end of the season. I mean, you looked at the fixture list. I mean, aside from Burnley, who had a couple of winnable fixtures, which they have just won, but you went, where, where are Everton going to pick up points? Where mm. are... Where are Leeds going to pick up points? And I think, I mean, Leeds have found themselves in a position with back-to-back games against Manchester City, which they've just lost on the weekend, Liverpool. And suddenly they've got all these teams around them who are chomping at their heels. And I think it is, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I would, if I were in, if I wanted to be in any camp at the moment, it would not be Leeds. I think they're in the worst position of the three sides, considering the fixtures and the way they're playing and the way things are going. I mean, Everton have suddenly found something from somewhere. And I think it's got to just be situationally, they, they had to. They absolutely mm. had to, and they have. I mean, Burnley is almost the story of the season at this point. I mean, what Mike Jackson has done since he's come in, everyone went, oh, they're doomed. You got rid of Sean Dyche. I mean, what are you doing? He's a relegation expert. He's He knows what he's doing. And all of a sudden, there they are, Mike Michael Jackson moonwalking his way up the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> what about Leeds United, Tommy? They haven't scored in their last two games. They now play Arsenal away and then Chelsea at home. Are they your favourites to go down now? I'm sure we'll we'll have a few uh, talks with Michael Bridges uh, in the, in the weeks to come. But uh, <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, sadly, I think it is. Uh, you know, I think mm. you know Jesse Mars. I think did well, and I was looking at it. You know, they've they have, they've actually had a decent run of form, but but it just happens that you know the the teams around them have, have done the same. Uh, and and there's a, this unwritten rule. There's always someone who's going to put together a, a run, and and that's definitely been Burnley because. How many times have we sat here on, on the gagging pod and talked about who we were seeing going down? And it was definitely Norwich Watford. And, and then I think it's been Burnley all the way through. Yeah. So that's the big surprise is that they have been managed to just dig out results. They haven't been brilliant. Like, you know, let's be honest. Yeah. It, it has yeah. been fantastic football, but they've just had, you know, the, just got the job done up, up until this point. And I still see them getting more points in, in the games they've got left. So, so Leeds, yeah, I fear for them. Well, football fans' memories are always very short-term, and we, we kicked up a bit of a stink here on the Gagan Pod when they got rid of Sean Dyche, but can you confidently say now, Tommy, that that was the correct decision to get rid of Sean Dyche? Oh, yeah, looking at it now, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and and there is a, you know, there's always this psychological, there, it's been proven that there's a, there's a bounce effect always when you get a new manager. I know as a player, you know, it sharpens everyone because suddenly, you know, you're going into the unknown, you're not you know secure a place and and and, you know uh, yeah so it has that you know short-term effect and and that's what you're hoping and that's was probably what was behind the decision is you're hoping to get a couple of good results and then you can start building that confidence and it it yeah it's worked for them up until this point that's it and I mean all by all reports I mean there was almost I think there there were reports that basically there was a split down the dressing room that that players were really torn over do we stick with Daesh do we not but it, it would seem that Deitch's exit has almost taken the shackles off this team. It seems mm. like they've just been sort of given the freedom. And I think the, the player who embodies that more than anything is, is Dwight McNeil, who, who, who's really had a poor season by his standards. Um, but all of a sudden, he, he's springing back to life and he's being creative. And uh, and he, he just looks like a different player. And they look like a different team, to be honest. They look like they're much more willing to play football. They look like... A different Burnley side. I mean, almost un-Burnley in a way <laughs> at yeah. times. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? And this is, we'll go right down to the why. It is Burnley, it is Everton, it is Leeds United all competing for that. We have an amazing top four race as well. And of course, you can't forget the big two fighting for the title. We'll wait a few weeks to find out who takes all those positions. But in the WSL, in the in the premier competition of women's football, we're not going to have to wait that long. We've got one full round left. And I guess to talk about that and all the biggest storylines in women's football, we've got former Matilda Heather Garrick joining us. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. And to look forward to the WSL is the final round coming up next week. And we've got former Matilda Heather Garriok joining us to try and make sense of it all. We needed some expert opinion here, Heather. It's been a massive season. Chelsea and Arsenal have been fighting it right down to the wire. What have you made of it? And who are you tipping to take home the gold at the end of this? How good has the quality been this w- WSL season? Yeah, brilliant. Uh, look, you know, uh, Man City have, have done really well in the back end of the season, but the, the front end killed them. Uh, in terms of Arsenal, um, again, they've done well with, with our own uh, Catley and Lydia Williams. Um, but I'd have to say Chelsea need three points to, to get across the line to win the, win the Premiership. And I really think they're going to do that. However, um, Idaval the Arsenal coach uh, came out this week and complained about at the start of the season how uh, Hayes and uh, Chelsea moved some games to suit Sam Kerr, which was <laughs> quite interesting. Um, but in saying that, look, if um, if Chelsea lose, then Arsenal um, may may get them at the post, but I don't think so. Chelsea's in too too great a space. Um, their winning mentality um, and the and the the quality of uh, Sam Kerr at the moment, I, I think they'll get across the line. And just on Sam Kerr, she's won the the Football Writers Player of the Year over there. It's a massive award. She just keeps stacking up these accolades at this point. How important is she to the Chelsea team? We've seen a few players have announced that they're leaving at the end of the year, but Sam Kerr seems like a stalwart in that starting lineup. They've got a lot of great players. She seems to steal the headlines. Is that because she's there to knock the ball in the back of the net at the end of it all? Is she really the, the key to this title success for Chelsea? No, I, th- I think she's. I think she's the key, and the reason why, and 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 I know this for for a fact, is you, you see that Emma Hayes has come out, and the belief that she, that Emma has shown um, in Sam, you can see she's she's a different player when she plays for Chelsea. The way she plays, she's she's got the shackles off. She's free. She's smiling. Uh, you know, and she finishes for Chelsea. And I, I really feel um, that. The big difference is is the belief that Emma shows in her. And whilst there's players leaving, uh, who wouldn't want to come in and play for Chelsea, especially with Sam Kerr? Yeah, definitely. I want to talk a little bit about this Man City side as well because they've been on an absolute roll in 2022. Seems like they stumbled a lot to teams they probably should have taken three points from early in the season. Then they won the League Cup. They're now in the FA Cup final. It's been a clear big two in the WSL this season. You knew it was Chelsea and Arsenal from the start. But do you think next season Man City are primed to make a title challenge? Yeah, definitely, especially the back end of this season. What They've lost one game uh, this year against Chelsea, 1-0. Um, they've had a draw to Arsenal. Um, you've got the likes of, of our very own Alana Kennedy playing for Man City, Lucy Bronze playing for Man City. Um, I just think the consistency and the quality of football that they play, um, this will hold them in good stead, especially for next season. 
Jakey, as our as our head writer here at Optusport, you're across all the leagues that we're showing. WSL has been one of the one of the biggest, the most successful this season, right? We've seen it go from strength to strength for you. And I'm going to put you on the spot here because I'm going to go to Heather in a second here. We make a lot of noise about Sam Kerr here because she's brilliant. How good has Miedemar been for Arsenal? Not only putting the ball in the back of the net, but creativity and everything. And I thought I'm going to stir the pot a little bit here. I know you, you're a, you're a, you're a footballing analyst and you really know it down to a T. So I'm saying, if you're building a team and you can take Miedemar or Sam Kerr, who are you taking? It's a really good question, Claude. I mean, obviously, Miedema adding almost a few strings to a bow this season, sort of more, obviously not quite competing with Sam in, in the Golden Boot race, but but really stacking up the assists in an Arsenal team, which which do have a lot of attacking weapons and aren't just solely rested on her goals anymore. Um, I think for me, it has to be Sammy Kerr, doesn't it? I mean, we're an Australian podcast, we're an Australian broadcaster. I've got to go with Sammy. I think the one thing as well with Sam Kerr, I think... Her aerial ability more than anything and the ability of Sam to just be in the right place at the right time and put the ball in the net. Obviously, meet him as a great goal scorer, but Kerr's numbers in her WSL sort of time have just been through the roof. I think she's she's just a tad below a goal a game at this point. And I think those numbers, I mean, Miedema scored a lot of goals. She's the all-time top goal scorer in the WSL, but Sam's catching on her quick. Mm. What about Heather? We, 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 look, we look at the Women's Champions League where... Ellie Carpenter's close to potentially having a second crown to her name, but the English teams, I mean, Chelsea made the final last year. They were, they were a fair distance off Barcelona, and this year we haven't had any of the English teams close to it. Is that just a testament to how good the rest of Europe has gotten, or do you think this is the next goal for Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester City to really solidify themselves as footballing powerhouses? How important is the Women's Champions League? Oh, it's, it's so important, um, you know, all around the world now. Um, it's just so strong, and, and that's a credit to to the clubs that see the value in, in investing in women's football, and you, you've seen it with Juventus, you've seen it with Barcelona. How great would it be to see Barcelona come here uh, next year with the women's team and the men's team, especially in the in the in a, uh, a match? Um, but yeah, look, it, it's the investment. But for for a Chelsea, um, the dream for Chelsea, the dream for Emma Hayes is to win mm. the Champions League, and um, you'll see you'll see the comparison when the English teams can get in the Champions League. Um, but, yeah, look, Lyon is, 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 is a quality mm. outfit and um, they've, been, they've been powerhouses for years and years. Well, Lyon have a bit of competition in their league with PSG, but we look at Juventus who made it very far this year and, and they pretty much, they don't have that much competition in Italy and, and Joe Montemuro is there. Tommy, that's a man you know quite well from your time in Melbourne City. But Barcelona as well haven't had much competition in their league. As a former professional footballer, you spent so many years at the top. Would you say it helps you in continental football, if you are dominating your league, if you are 10, 15 points clear or you are quite comfortable in your league, is that a good thing when you're going to play European nights midweek or does that actually hurt you a little bit? Would you rather have a competition? Because you look at the WSL, it's going right down to the wire. There's big games every week. There's three huge teams competing. However, they're struggling in Europe. Is that a burden on you or would you rather be playing a final every week, Tommy? I, know, I think there's a saying that uh, iron sharpens iron. And, and um, you know, I... I would rather, you know, an all-round competitive uh, league. I think, you know, looking at it, um, you know, as a product as well, I think the, the WSL is, is by far the most attractive league. Mm. Um, and it's just another, you know, it's another challenge for them. And, and they've got to find a solution. I think, you know, it's been a problem, I think, for, for English football in the past. Uh, but now they've seemed to have cracked it with, obviously, you know, Liverpool and Man City doing extremely well on the men's side. 
So I'm sure they'll get there. Um, but, mm. you know, the, the pressure is on uh, as, as, as well to, 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 yeah, to find a solution to it. Uh, but, but, yeah, I, I think, you know, the competitiveness, everyone wants that in, in a league. Let, let's, let's not forget, though, um, what a good eight to ten years ago, it was Arsenal in the WSL that were the powerhouses and that it's, ta- it's taken a, a little bit of time or a, a lot of time for the other clubs to, to catch up. And, and I just think, um, you know, just this, this past year with Barcelona selling out the, the, the stadium, what, 90-odd thousand people. It's, it's just going to be a knock-on effect um, for women's football. But in my opinion, I, I think um, in terms of the European leagues, I think uh, it, it's great to be able to come mm. into yourself. And whilst there's competition week in, week out, those players can connect. And, and, and the, the, the way you play football and for a, a Juve, uh, Joe Montemiro style really suits that Italian style. Yeah, well, Joe is is just one weekend away from wrapping up the title there in the Serie A Feminile, Jake. It's a it's an interesting one because it's a huge thing, and he's winning a title. But Juve have won the title in every year of their existence, right? Even before Joe. So, is this almost a poison chalice when you take a job like that? It's like if you're not competing for the Champions League, really, it's just put a stroke through this year and focus on the next year. Is that pretty harsh on him? I think it's harsh, particularly because I think the, the main thing that Joe Montemuro has done in this year at Juventus is really forged them a bit of a path through Europe. And, and obviously they, they got through what was essentially a group of death um, against the likes of Wolfsburg, who obviously have gone so deep in that competition so many times, and Chelsea, who obviously were finalists last season and playing some great football in the WSL. And I think, obviously, it comes at a very interesting time for Italian women's football where the league is about to professionalise and the Italian national team is looking to make a move up the rankings. And I think Montemuro, obviously, has really established himself. Again, you talk you talk a lot of time, I mean, even at, everything in football comes back to the Ronaldo-Messi debate, but everyone talks about the ability to, to, to shift leagues and keep up at your level. I think Mont- Montemuro has really shown with this Juve team that he, he is someone who, who can really forge that path through Europe and he can take a side and help them move up a gear. Um, and I think that's come at a really good time for Italian women's football, like I said, as they're really trying to, trying to launch um, as a global power um, in the women's game like they are in the men's game. Yeah, brilliant. And their national team has shown that too. They've gone from strength to strength. I'm a little bit biased when it comes to that. <laughs> uh, we look at Joe Montemuro and we look at Ange Postacoglu and we, we, we look at Australian football and what's been a bit of a lower year for our players, I guess, and maybe performances on the pitch. It's been a fantastic year for our managers that we've exported and they've gone overseas and they're doing great work. Um, Tommy, you do know Joe as well from your time at Melbourne City. He was successful there. He was successful at Arsenal. He's now been very successful at Juventus. Ange spoke recently, you know, to Mark Schwarzer here on Optus Sport about his mentality towards possibly the Football Australia and the Socceroos job and that he's it's not even something he would consider in the, in the near future. He's now well and truly on his club campaign and he wouldn't consider going back. For Joe Montemuro, who's never had that gig, there's always a lot of noise around the Matildas job and, and you've worked with him closely. You know him as a person. What's he got to do to be considered for that job? <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> extremely surprised. Um, you know, because, you know, what, what do you need to do? You know, what accolades? You know, he obviously... He, 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 was, he was coached with the men's teams at Melbourne City, he took over the women's team, had success. Then he went to Arsenal, had success and was interested in the um, Matilda's mm-hmm. job and was still overlooked um, for a Swede. So, yeah, I, and again, uh, Heather, I, I don't want you to get involved in this, but, but from my point of view, I, I was definitely mm-hmm. surprised that, uh, you know, that he wasn't in the reckoning or was overlooked because he's got the qualities. And I know him as a person. He suits the women's game. He's, he's very mellow. You know, he connects well with people. Um, so so he, he would be a, a perfect fit. He's got that relaxed, uh, you know, so he, he takes the pressure off the players as well. You can just see that when they're playing, you know, they're playing – 
you know, sort of to his personality as well. He has a great effect on him. So, yeah, surprised. Uh, maybe, hopefully, in the future, he'll, he'll get the job. Maybe, hopefully. I know I'm not going to involve Heather in this conversation, but, Jakey, I know you have absolutely <laughs> no ties to anyone. You can get right involved in this one. If I gave you a big red button <laughs> that you could smash right now and swap out Tony Gustafsson for Joe Montemuro for the year going into the Women's World Cup, would you hit it? I think I have to. Uh, let, let's be really honest here. I mean, nothing against Tony Gustafsson. I mean, he's doing a job. He's building a project. But I think, I mean, obviously, results speak for themselves in this business. Um, and, and ultimately, I, th- I think it is... Hopefully, history doesn't show that that we made a mistake there. But ultimately, like, Joe Montemuro is... I mean, I, I, in my opinion, Joe Montemuro is almost the exact women's game equivalent of Ange Postacoglu in terms of what he's achieving. Mm. And I think, imagine if you went, oh, could you not just make Ange Socceroos boss right now? Of course yeah. you would. Um, I think if you've got an Aussie in charge of an Aussie team, they, they know what, it's like, what it means to be... Socceroos coach, Matilda's coach, um, and there's a big ethos that runs through our game, a spirit. Uh, it's it's hard to understand for for a foreigner. I think. I mean, Tommy, you're you you've sort of come into the Aussie game. I mean, would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, no, I think uh, you know, in any country, you know, I, I would be, you know, we had we had a Swede in charge of the Danish team and and a Norwegian, and it's still not quite the same. You know, it's uh, <laughs> it's just that little bit of uh, you know they better do well. Uh, so so again, I think it also sort of adds a bit of pressure and you can sense that from the press as well with Gustafsson you know that he, he has to do better than and it's just unnecessary I think leading into a World Cup so yeah you know he, he has to obviously come out with a great result otherwise yeah he'll be out the door quick in terms of uh, my opinion and just this this is a generalization with coaching is the thing that kills me about Australia is that our Australian coaches are quality yet they continue to get overlooked because the same old thing has been said for our Australian coaches is they're just not ready. Mm. What does ready actually mean? Yeah. 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 Well, what about, actually, you raise a good point. What do you think, Heather Labrat? If this was just a, a nice parallel universe, do you think you look at footballers at the national team, you can't just choose to go and play for Portugal if you wanted to. You can't just choose to go play for whoever you want, right? You need citizenship to play for that country. Do you think international managers should have the same rule as players when it comes to that? No, I don't think necessarily the same rule, but I, I am a big advocate and very, very passionate about how important the culture plays. Okay. And I think um, in terms of Europe, it, it's it's different cultures, but it's not significantly different to Australia. Mm. We're very different. And um, I think uh, Australians um, need to, uh, people need to understand the Australian culture. Mm. And um, different um, by, by meaning is geographically uh, we're so far away from the world it's not going to be the same coaching um, in, in Europe and, and games every, every second week uh, in terms of personality laid back uh, humour um, the change room setting so they're, they're, that for me but I just think there's so many quality Australian coaches here in Australia um, and we're not we're not tapping into them and you, you spoke about the Ange Postacoglu interview um, to me that that is we need to listen um, mm. because he's he's a manager that's been there done that and um, he's now global and in demand well he's a, he's a manager that's getting some serious recognition isn't he over there in Scotland he just won manager of the year at the Scottish Football Awards and we cleaned up at those awards Tom Rogic won goal of the year as well and I think I don't know if this really came as too much of a surprise but definitely in Australian football media it kind of took it by storm it was was Jacinta Gala and I say Gala because her last name is extremely difficult so you know forgive me on Jonah, that one Jonah Hands want- Gala Ballot Gala Badarachi. Oh, look at you go, Heather. Well, that, that's why we bring you in. That's why you're on the big bucks. Uh, but she's she's obviously taken Scottish football by storm. She's only 20 years old. She wins Young Player of the Year. She won Celtics Player of the Year as well. She can play for Australia, Italy, 
or Argentina. And we know that she's represented Australia at youth levels, but she's already had a great career over there in Europe. She's played for West Ham. She's played for Napoli. She's now played for Celtic. At 20 years old, she's experienced football in four professional leagues. Why hasn't she been capped yet? That's a really good question, considering that um, the Matildas have capped almost 60 players in the last 18 months. So mm. really good question. She's she's a player, um, if I can describe her, and I, I certainly don't want to compare her to anybody, but just to paint a little bit of a picture, is she's not just the norm player. She's got flair about her. She's got personality about her. She's very similar to a, a, a Lisa Devana, just with, without the speed. She's more of a, a, a 10 that, that, that links up um, play. She's a quality little player and, and she went overseas and took a chance early on in her career when she was about 15, 16, headed over to, to England, um, yet hasn't been considered. No doubt she will be on the radar, especially after this accolade and especially after uh, no doubt Ange being over there. But um, again, a player like that that's a little, little bit different, that's a little bit left field, embrace those players because uh, she, she is a quality player. Let's hope she picks Australia. Yeah, Jake, it sounds almost exactly what we need, right? Flair, a number 10, a player that can really link up the play. We've seen that Matildas can, they can dominate possession, but we saw in those games, even against New Zealand, that at times, especially that first one, at times, despite all the possession, they're struggling to build clear-cut chances. She looks like an X-factor player. If you look her up and look at her videos, she's a great freestyler as well. She's got an incredible touch of the ball. This sounds like exactly what we need. Why do you think she hasn't been called up? Well, it's an interesting one, because obviously she was involved um, in youth national team setups. I believe she played 17s, 20s. Um, throughout the system um, and I think she's actually been in a couple of Matilda's camps over the years but she hasn't been capped I mean she seems to have just almost fallen off the radar in a way um, as far as far as I'm concerned I mean she's obviously doing great things over there in Scotland I believe she didn't actually see a lot of the field at West Ham which may have sort of played against her um, I'm not quite sure how much football she played at Napoli but I mean obviously it, it takes something like this to really jog the memories which it obviously shouldn't because I mean mm. we're a national team setup we should be scouting players yeah. um, and, and they've they've capped as Heather said, a lot of different players um, recently. And, I mean, you see the likes of, of Remy Seamson and Courtney Vine um, getting their chances in that in that front third out of out of the, um, the A-League women. Um, I think it's it's definitely, I mean, Monster, uh, I slipped the tongue there. Um, Gustafsson, um, obviously talking about trying to sort of solidify his squad heading into this final year towards the World Cup. Um, I'd love to see her involved. I think you're exactly right, Claude. We, we really are crying out for someone to really light things up and add a bit of X factor, a bit of creativity. And I mean, I think that can only help the likes of Sam Kerr, who obviously deals with a lot of, a lot of burden in that department. Um, and I think that that's something that we really should be looking to try. Mm, definitely. Well, you know what? We're all quite biased. We're all quite. We're all Aussie here, Tommy. You're an adopted Aussie, but you 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 at least <laughs> I've got an you Aussie at least passport. Sorry, <laughs> you do, you do. But I think you'd be less biased than us in this situation. Twenty years of age, the world at her feet. She can play for Australia. She can play for Italy, who we know are booming in women's football. She can play for Argentina, who probably are next to boom. And her mum has come out publicly and said she she hopes that Jacinta plays for Argentina. Tommy, if you were her, who are you looking at right now? You know, again, with with the World Cup uh, coming up, uh, I would pick Australia if if if, uh, if if there was a hand that <laughs> came out to me uh, for sure. You know what an experience that would be, and and I, I still see Australia, you know, being one of the top teams uh, for years to come. So so, you know, if she doesn't mind the travel, and you know, you know, it seems to be working for a lot of players in Europe, then uh, yeah, I would definitely pick Australia. It's interesting though. Uh, there were some quotes from from Jacinta in the last couple of days where she spoke to basically that she feels almost as though the Argentinian national team would suit her style more than the Australian, which is quite interesting in itself. So, I mean, she said basically she loves both countries, but 
it'd be interesting to see where she lands. And I think it's it's something that Australia really needs to almost get on the phone pretty quickly. <laughs> I, I did see that. Heather, do you think that's a purely a footballing suggestion from her or could that be a cultural suggestion as well? No, she plays very similar. Um, the more that we're talking, she plays very similar to Alex Chidiak, right? Um, just very explosive and, and entertaining and um, very good technically. Um no, I, I, I think she, any player can fit in any team. And I'm going to use Megan Rapinoe as a really good example. The Americans played this direct style of football, didn't have that, that um, European technique, that, that beautiful, um, you know, uh, nous on the ball like Megan Rapinoe. And she was very different to the American style um, back when she debuted. What's the difference between, between Jacinta? And um, I think we need to... Um, put our arms around her and bring her in. Yeah. I think that would be the first thing because mm. any player wants to feel a belonging and, and, and feel a want. And we spoke about Sam before about how Emma Hayes believes in her and Australia needs to believe in, in Jacinta if she's the right right player to come in to, to be effective for us, especially the World Cup next year in 23. Let's make it happen because things are looking good, but they could always look better. So we'd love any talent that we can get. Heather, thank you so much for joining us here on the Gagan Pod. It's always a pleasure to have you. I know you're a very, very busy woman. you got much on your plate, but thanks for taking <laughs> some time out and chatting to us. No, nah, thanks, guys. John Aloisi, can we replicate those scenes from 2006? People want more, and to to replicate that, we need to get through the group stages and go even further, so then we're creating history. I remember walking into the stadium in Stuttgart and having a powerful sense of the history of that moment. Now we are underway in Stuttgart. How incredible is this sport that on this one stage, it can tell such a powerful, unique, incredible story. It's potential where it could go if it could shed one or two things and embrace one or two others. It just so much about football says so much about Australia and vice versa. The amount of people dancing on the street, Federation Square going off and, and you know, just the people uh, having fun. We realised then that actually, this could unite a country. The hospitality, the friendliness, the sense of community, and all of that, that all comes back to football. It's a community. And, you know, parts of Australia, white Australia, there there never has been a community. It's completely lacking. And I think that's when we'll see that we are changing people's opinion that we're not just a, 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 you know, a sport that, you know, yes, it's well liked here in Australia, but it's not the number one sport. Until then, I don't know if we are going to replicate that. Football Belongs. Nine matches that explain Australia. Always a pleasure to catch up with Heather and talk the biggest storylines in the women's game. But for now, we're going to park uh, the British football. We're going to go around Europe now and we have another champion crowned Real Madrid. We knew that was coming. Carlo Ancelotti, massive win for them as well. For him, he's now become the first manager to win all five major European leagues. And when you talk Ancelotti, for some reason, I don't know if it's because he's got this character where, you know, the rumors are that Ancelotti doesn't really manage. He lets the players manage. He's just a nice guy and he just gets along with everyone. But he's won every now he's won three Champions Leagues with multiple clubs. Where does he go down as the greatest managers of all time, Tommy? Uh, he has to be up there. You know, what he's done in, in all different leagues, uh, you know, and over, you know, a, a 20, what, 20 year stint. Um, I think it's, it's extremely impressive. I think we've seen the limitations. We saw it at Everton. You know, he, he, he didn't definitely, you know, pick them up and, and get them in the right direction. So so he has his limitations. And I think that the modern dame has potentially 
caught up to him in in some way um but you know take nothing away from uh you know his man management skills and and that's where he suits you know uh, uh real madrid extremely well you know he, he's yeah. got that experience you know he, he can get these players on the right path and and uh potentially doesn't have to you know get his finger in everything as you said he, he can just you know keep the ship level and, and and make sure everyone does the right thing and 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 then take it from there and and you know that's definitely uh it's been his strength all the way through i think claude you talk about that conversation in terms of where does he sit um historically almost and i think it almost comes back to how you define greatness mm. i think in a way i mean are you talking again it always comes back to these things in football it's such a global community now and you can go manage in different leagues and, and try yourself in different places but it's your ability your adapt almost your adaptability versus your longevity so do you say that that Ancelotti is a better manager than Sir Alex Ferguson because Ancelotti's gone and done it in, in every big league? Or do you say that Sir Alex Ferguson, who dominated the biggest league on the planet for decades, is that a more impressive achievement than globetrotting and, and doing it in different places, Tommy? Right, but again, that's, that's the same question we have. Uh, Ronaldo, Maradona, you know, Messi, you know, who, who do we rate? So, so thankfully, mm. I don't think there's the right answer to that. Um, I think we just have to put them in the same bracket. Um, for for what they've done under what circumstances um, you know with what uh, ever limitations they had or so so again he definitely has to rank in that you know top five uh, I think for me uh, all term um, I think he he's deserved that with what he's done as you said in 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 different on different continents different clubs different situations. Uh, and has always more or less, except I think Everton uh, and, and Napoli didn't win any trophies. But mm. other than that, he's won everywhere else. Out of out of interest, Tommy, who, who else is in your top five? Who you got? Oh, now you put me on a on a spot here. I've got to ask a big question here, mate. <laughs> you know, again, I think for for the English game, you mentioned Alex Ferguson. Um, you know, then we're looking at you know some of the modern managers. Um, uh, well, there's, there's there's somebody oh, now you you got to help me here with some names and I'll. Uh... <laughs> I mean, do, do do you already put the likes of Guardiola and Klopp into that bracket? I mean, you can go back into history. I mean, Zidane's won three Champions Leagues. Where, where does he sit? I mean, it's a it's a very interesting one. I just I just thought I'd put you on the spot there, mate. See see what sort of names you throw at me. Yeah. No. Again, and also you know what what do you look at? You know, the modern game is, I think it's a it's a different game. It's a different you know, it, it different tools that you need as a manager. Um, you know, I'm a lot more impressed with, you know, the likes of Klopp and, and uh, Guardiola than, than potentially some of the older managers. Uh, you know, I, I had a, a two-week uh, trial at, at uh, Man United, so I sort of, well, I was in and around Alex Ferguson and, and uh, you know, it was fairly old-school mentality. Uh, you know, he had his... Uh, Kit, uh, who was the assistant manager, he, he was doing all the training. So he was just there, you know, for half an hour watching the training. Then he went back in his office. You know, that's not how the, the normal managers, but he was a, Alex Ferguson was a great man management uh, with his players and, and could always maximize their efforts and, and, and was good at spotting talent and, and obviously had the tactical know-how to do the right things at the right time. So, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a question that we can actually not really answer uh, in, my, in my book. But I've got a lot more respect for the modern managers because they've got so much more on their plate um, mm. with, the, with the players and, and tactics and everything else. 
I'll give you one here, Jake. I go milestones for you, okay? Sir Alex Ferguson for longevity, Ancelotti for doing it in multiple countries, Pep for revolutionising the way football looks and feels and everything. And Jose Klopp Mar- is the nicest bloke in the world. Nah, Klopp doesn't get into my five, right? J- Jose oh. Mourinho just for being Jose and for winning a yeah, Europa yeah. League, then winning a Champions League in the following year and doing that all with Porto. That's unheard of. And then Fabio Capello, right, for one of the most ridiculous title wins ever with AC Milan where he scored less goals than games played and still managed to win the title, right? <laughs> just the, the king of the 1-0, Fabio Capello. But nah, look, you can have anyone in the those lists uh, we've had so many great managers but we talk about Ancelotti and his his title celebrations with Real Madrid because he seems like that type of guy that loves to have fun and the, all these photos going viral of him smoking cigars having a drink with the boys dancing uh, it's fantastic uh, no Gareth Bale in sight though Jake uh, he was ruled out for the game and didn't join for any celebrations either what have you made of that and what does that mean where does he go now does he go to Cardiff does he even keep playing football I don't even think... I think he's the only one that can answer that. I mean, it's... What else can you say? These teams just won the title and he's nowhere to be seen. I mean, <laughs> clearly, he's not having a great time in Madrid, let's be yeah. honest. Wales, golf, Madrid. Yeah. Clear of that. I mean, yeah. I think it's going to be very interesting. I mean, we had this conversation at the start of the season. It was, where's Gareth Bale going to go? Is he going to stay? What's he going to do? I mean, it is a World Cup year. Um, there's a lot happening. I mean, Wales doing what they do. Um, I think... This, this question, I mean, Gareth Bale is obviously still a very good footballer. There's no mm. doubt. Every time he plays for Wales, we see it. Yeah, He's still very capable of playing at the top level. Whether he wants to is another question. I mean, mm. I think uh, he's probably more happy on the links, if I'm honest. Yeah, no, no. I think it was confirmed that he had a back spasm. Uh, and I think he, he also came out and <laughs> said, uh, but... You know, again, I think the, the, the Spanish press at this moment in time are very, very uh, happy to just pile onto him uh, with everything they've got. Uh, yeah. But yeah, you've got to question where his passion lies. Uh, it seems to be definitely a lot more on the links than, uh, and with Wales than everywhere else. That's a very common golf injury, right? That back spasm. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to <laughs> hypothesize here. But uh, Tommy, he, he was nowhere to be seen, but they were celebrating and all through the streets, cigars and drinks and everything. And I thought, you know, during the week, we also saw Trubs Wonsball win their first Turkish title in 38 years it was a massive one and there was a party in the streets people climbing on street poles and it was just a, they started a rave in the middle of the city and I thought how was the Sunderland party back in 99 when you won the championship did you guys go wild or what I can't remember <laughs> that tells you everything you need to know doesn't it Tommy uh, you know what that was a, you know an eye opener for me for you know what football means you know I like we've seen this week you know we've seen it in Madrid we've obviously by a million miles seen it in Turkey and and that's what I experienced in, in Sunderland you know the you know the the what it meant to the whole city you know we went on an open tour bus and i've never seen so many people they were they were saying that there was three four hundred thousand in the street uh, and it was uh, you went past uh, old people's home they were hanging out the window and and had you know all shirts on and you know so it just confirms to me what football is really all about you know it's about the fans and the passion and 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 i think that you know, we, yeah, we had a good old party. I can say you that as well. Um, but, uh, but, but, yeah, you know, it, that that it, that was. I think I really fell in love with football then. You know, yeah. fell in love with, and that's why I still got a, you know, good, great connection with Sunderland, and it probably sort of still stands out to me because that was a unique uh, moment in time when we uh, when we won that title. Yeah, brilliant. 
ma- massive scenes there. Massive scenes. Oh, I, I love the one of my favorite part of football is the 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 parades through the streets and everything. And then also just keeping tabs on the on the social media to see if any of the players accidentally post something of their nights out. Because you know we I've heard <laughs> Frank Lampard talk about when Chelsea won the Champions League for the next three four days was just a blur. He said they ended up backstage at a Kanye West concert. It was just like just mayhem. You know you don't know what happens next. And that, that I love that part of the game too. I don't know, uh, but uh, I don't think. Kanye West didn't come to Sunderland, so we didn't have that chance. <laughs> you can imagine, you can imagine Tommy Snapchat winning the when he, when they won the championship. It would have been mental. <laughs> you had a young, you had a young Michael Bridges there as well, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, you know, we we definitely uh, went at it. I was young back then as well, so he was a little yeah. bit younger. But uh, hey, we had a good time. Yeah, that's that's what it's all about. I'll leave it there. Maybe once we stop the recording, we can really talk about what happened uh, in those celebrations. We had we had some somber news. We had some sad news in the world of football. Mino Raiola, one of the most iconic figures, and it's incredible because he doesn't have to kick a ball to be one of the most well-known iconic figures in football, has sadly passed away, age 54. And he's been battling an illness for quite some time. And, and uh, you know, whether he was a controversial figure in the game, nonetheless, but you look at his book of clients and how many big players continue to sign with him now these these golden boys of football that are making noise they continue to sign with him because one thing you have to say about him he represented his players very very well and always did everything he could to get them the best deal he absolutely could so he's a, he is a legend of the game he's one of those i'd say three super agents that really stole the headlines in the last 20 years of football jake i wanted to come to you with this one before we talk about really agents and talk about mino we talk about the story that broke a little early right two days before about a day and a half before the story broke that he'd passed away he then came out releasing a statement saying no i'm still here um as as, as chief journalist here at optus sport what how difficult is it as a journal when when these news stories are breaking and do you have this moral battle between making sure it's 100 correct but also people expect you to be first to the party right and release the story first i think it's a really interesting one especially when you talk about from Optus Sports perspective, when you're covering a story that's on the other side of the world, firstly, what I'd say is, I mean, this story breaking early, I mean, you can't, there's no bigger sort of almost embarrassment for mm. a journalist than than breaking that news of, of the fact someone's died. I mean, mm. it has such far-reaching consequences in terms of, I believe there was a, a comment from a doctor at the hospital who basically said, we had Mino Raiola's son calling saying, is my dad, is, is it real? Is it fake wow. news? And I think that's that really just points to just how big of a thing this is and just mm. how sort of sad the whole situation is. And I think the thing in journalism is, I mean, credibility is so incredibly important. And I think a story like this, I mean, when you're trying to cover it, I mean, it's let's be honest, Optus Sport doesn't have contacts in a hospital in Italy, mm, like we're on the yeah. other side of the world. Yeah. But you rely on so- people, reporters, um, newsbreakers on the ground to, to, to do their due diligence and to get a story right. Mm. Um, I don't think it's necessarily about being first when you're when you're in a situation like we are but you I mean you don't necessarily want to get left behind by a news story and I mean reducing it to a news story is is I mean it's almost you don't really want to it's it's, it's so much bigger than that but mm. ultimately at the end of the day that this story itself um, was largely broken and sort of globalized by a, a newsbreaker in Italy who I mean had to backtrack enormously and it was clear just how upset he was about it I mean he's mm. basically put himself in Twitter jail for a few weeks he's, yeah. he's taking some time to think about himself and I mean that's what it is he's got the credibility this guy's got four hundred thousand followers on twitter that's how credible he is so mm. you as as someone on the other side of the world we rely on journalists and someone else in our industry to, to really do their job right and nail it and, and do it i mean obviously you, you want to double check every story yourself you want to be be 100 percent accurate but i mean in the global world that we live in in the social media age i mean news spreads like wildfire and when someone with the runs on the board says something and it's backed up by someone else who's got the runs on the board i mean 
what, what, what are you supposed to do? I mean, admittedly, like, it's tough and you should wait until until the family confirms it. But if the entire world is, is talking about a story, you don't really want to be left behind. Yeah, makes sense. Must be, must be a difficult one. I think for him, you know, really, we talk about whether you want to be first. I find that hard to believe because for him now, that if, if that was the reason for breaking it so quick, it's it's gone. It's backflipped completely and his credibility has probably been shot massively from this. But let's, the, the real big point about this is that the world has lost Mina Rayola and one of, one of the big super agents of the game. You know, we talk about Mendes, who's, who's uh, managed so many Portuguese players and there's a few others that have really stolen the headlines. But I wanted to speak to you about it, Tommy, this whole idea of the super agent and you know he was quite vocal as well he, I remember one of these most recent ones a year ago was about Erling Haaland with Borussia Dortmund and if they didn't cooperate to try and sell him to a club he said uh, I'll, I'll let him go to Bayern Munich on a free if you're not careful at the end of his contract you know he had that power he wasn't afraid to stick it to these big clubs and I think media sometimes twists these super agents as being the bad guys but as a footballer you've experienced that you've experienced the modern age of football where these clubs have so much money they have so much power do, do players need these agents to stick it to them to step up and to to really stand up for the little guy? I, I think the game has, uh, you know, has, has come that far that, uh, you know, there's so many rules and regulations. So, so just from that perspective, you need someone who's on top of that, you know, so, mm-hmm. so that's where the agent fits in. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, you know, it all depends on, you know, where, you know, if I was a player and I was picking an agent, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily want to pick one of those agents because that sort of commands that you are, a player of that stature, um, you know, because, you know, they've obviously got to that level by, you know, by luck, by either getting, you know, by, you know, getting uh, the right players when they were young and then you build a career and you build a reputation and slowly, um, and you're obviously good at what you're doing as well. Um, but, but ultimately you want an agent that has, the, you know, someone you can trust, um, that has obviously the best, your best interest at heart. Uh, and, and again, at the right time. So my agent um, was Paul Stratford, so he's always the, also the agent for, for Wayne Rooney. And, and he got into some trouble over the whole Wayne Rooney deal where, you know, he was, you know, fined for, for having poached him from, you know, some of his previous agents and, and, um, and, and had to sit out. He, you know, he, he got his license revoked for, for a couple of years. But for me, you know, you want your agent to be a little bit like, a, you know, a pit bull. You want your agent to be on your side, but going hard at clubs and, and, and again, you know, fight for your interest. So I, I don't really care if the agent is looked at as a, you know, as a bad guy or I just want my relation to him that I can trust that. And I think that's yeah. where, that, that's the whole essence of it. Like whatever everyone else says, it doesn't really matter unless he's, you know, he's fighting for your interest. Mm. And and for you, do you think as, as a player, it's different when I guess you're a young player, you look for an agent to maybe give you opportunities or get you trials at clubs or whatever. But when you're already a superstar, when you're already very well known, you're earning a lot of money and you're doing all this, when you select your agent, because you hear of footballers changing their agents throughout their career, what are you selecting the agent based on? Is it, When they're coming to you, are they having a conversation saying, I'll get you the best contract you can possibly get? I'll get you a long contract or more money? Or, or What are you selecting your agent based on? You know, I always used to like, you know, a, a holistic approach, I would say I had. Um, first of all, you, you want to know, you know, what's, what's the agency? You know, what can they supply of services? Uh, where do you rank? You know, have they got 10 mm. players? Do you rank number nine? 
yeah. because then you, you you know what gonna what time that you know you'll get some young up and coming uh, red shirt guy that's gonna look <laughs> after you, or are you gonna be you know the main man and they're gonna put all their eggs in your basket and 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 are really gonna mm. push your name. Uh, so I think that's the first thing, and then you, you build a rapport. You, you know, can I trust these people and 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 this guy? Because I've seen I've seen the other side of it. I've seen players at the sort of you know bottom end of 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 the league and and you know they're just being taken advantage of you know the, the agents would co- just call them they knew their contract was up you know a week before you know they'll get a call and and they'll take their cut and, and wouldn't really care you know but they needed them for the negotiations uh, and and that's the different side of it so so you know if you are Haaland Ronaldo you know you got no option you got to you got the pick of the litter whoever you trust and whoever can yeah. come up with the best package for you but but if you're further down the line that's where you have to be smart you know you have to pick you, <laughs> you really have to pick the people you can trust and and who has to do your best interests at heart so it's not easy you know it's a I feel for some of the the young players because everyone you know, it's, it's like the politicians we're here now with the election. You know, they, they can do everything for you, but but when it yeah. really comes, when it really comes to it, will they do that? And I think that's where yeah. you know that that's the big question. Well, it's, it's early on a Tuesday to get political at this point, but uh, what what, what I will election, uh, mention of the Gagan pod, love it. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a, that's a later show coming up later in the week. Um, but for, for that, I find it so interesting with the agents. You mentioned that part about you know you would rather be the top dog at one agency than be part of a bigger group, and maybe you're your ninth, tenth on the pecking order. I wonder, like you mentioned, Wayne Rooney had the same agent as you. Does that connect you guys in any way? Do you become friends with another player because you have the same agent? Is there like an agent Christmas party or something where you all hang out at the end of the year? <laughs> I know. I, 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 yeah, I know him pretty well. Um, you know, at the end, we came across. It was not like we, you know, we're, we were sort of uh, together every week. But, uh, you know, again, there, there are functions, uh, birthdays, uh, certain events where, you know, yeah, you, you, you do come together. And, um, and then, then you hear, like, I had a good relationship with, with my agent. So, so you always hear what, what goes on with other players, you know, where he's been. You know, obviously, I don't know the exact details of things, but, but yeah, you, you sort of get a sense of uh, now I was with him for, for sort of more or less the whole career. So, mm. so it sort of gets a little bit of a family feel. Um, and the other players, um, you know, and you, you sort of help, at, you know, at times to potentially recommend young players to, 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 to come to the same agency because you can sort of, or you get a reference. Uh, so it's sort of, yeah, it, it follows a path as, as the longer you're there, I think. Uh, and that's what I was aiming for is someone I could trust all the way through my career and, and uh, didn't have to change. And yeah, luckily it, it, I, I picked right to, to start with. Yeah, brilliant. No, I'm sure you did pick very well. I hope you didn't spend too many late nights with Wayne Rooney. He had some questionable things to spend his money on, Big Wazza. <laughs> I've seen his documentary. But uh, nonetheless, I think it's about that time, guys. We have to start wrapping up. We've got so much football coming up this week. Jake, no doubt you'll be excited to see Liverpool in the Champions League. Looks like they've got one step into the final. But who would you rather play in the Champions League final, Man City or Real Madrid? It's a really good question. I think for me, it depends really what you want. I think obviously Liverpool and Manchester City, I mean, for the neutral, for, I mean, let's be honest, if Liverpool go and wrap up the FA Cup hmm. and... Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> if, it's, a, it's a big if, Claude. It's a big if. It's a big if. Um, but I mean, I think that's, it would just be the perfect sort of uh, curtain call, show finisher, show stopper for, the, for this season. I mean, <clears throat> let's be real. These are the... 
in my opinion, these are the best two teams in Europe and they have been all season in terms of just their levels on the pitch and, and mm. just the standards they've been setting. I think it would be the most unbelievable Champions League final. And yeah. I think that's what I'd like to see. But on the flip side, I mean... Liverpool a bit of unfinished business with Real Madrid after a bit of a bit of a spicy one a few years back. I mean the Sergio Ramos rugby tackle and Mo Salah springs to mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think either way, I mean Real Madrid's history in the Champions League unparalleled. I think either way it would be massive. It's it's going to be either the massive all English showdown that everyone wants to see, or it's going to be two true heavyweights of the game going at it. So I think either way it's going to be something ridiculously great, provided Liverpool get through the semi final. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, they still got a job to do. It, it it looks like it should be done, but you never know. Stranger things have happened in football. Hopefully, some- it is a good evening. <laughs> Hopefully, exactly right. We've got some great games coming up over the weekend on Optus Sport as well. Two ones that I've picked out from the Premier League: Liverpool, Tottenham, and Arsenal leads. But for you, Tommy, what's your game of the weekend? Ah, oh, you know, again, um, I think I think that Leeds game. I think uh, yeah. I, I'm I'm so looking forward to see if we can get some sort of reaction from them. Um, mm. You know, they they've been pretty good away from home uh, under Marsh. So yeah, so it's it's gonna like like uh, sorry Everton the other night. They, they they have to come up with something, and you would think mm. it's going to be easy for for Arsenal. But but again, we've seen stranger things in in this relegation battle. So you know, I'm hoping that Leeds can can show some fight. Yeah, Arsenal have shown that they're not very straightforward either. They can beat the teams at the top and they can struggle against the teams at the bottom. So we've got some yeah. great football coming up each and every day. And you best believe we'll be back next Tuesday on the Gegenpod to do our best to wrap it all up. We may be joined by Mark Schwartz and Michael Bridges if they're not traveling the world, living this superstar lifestyle that they have. But thanks so much for joining us, Tommy and Jake. As always, guys, make sure you're following us on all our socials. Chuck us a five-star rating if you enjoyed the chat today. Subscribe and we'll see you all next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.